0: Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game. Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy.
1: After nourishment, shelter, and companionship, stories are the things we need most in the world. And that's a quote by Philip Pullman. I'm excited to have you listening again to the Profitable Photographer. I have some big news. You might have heard it last week, but here it is again. I now am populating my YouTube channel, The Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas, with my podcast. So if you like to log in there and listen to shows. And when all goes well, some of these will be posted as actual videos. You can jump over there. And I'm trying to get to at least 100 subscribers so I can get an easy URL. So I would be eternally grateful if you, when you always positive subscribe. All right, on with this show. So my guest is a man that goes by one name and it's Devo. Now it's not the musician or the band, but it's an awesome guy. You can see him over here if we're on on the video. Who's a thought leader, photographer, videographer, blogger, serial entrepreneur, ex-college athlete, former corporate executive, single father of two promising young ladies. I wonder what they promise you. (laughs) (laughs) And now an emerging strategy consultant, paid speaker, Someone who's fast on his way to being an expert in creating digital architecture to help small businesses and entrepreneurs brand and market. So, welcome, Devo, and thanks for being on the show.
0: Hey, Lucy, thanks for having me. You mean you don't like the URL with 26 different digits and 12 Uh, letters from the alphabet all rearranged?
1: Oh, sure. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it'd be really, it will be really fun to. And I think that to get a custom URL now, I read that you have to have 100 um, subscribers. Do you know anything yeah. about that? I, I did not know that, actually. Yeah. I was looking it up, and this year, I think they changed it.
0: And It'll change next week if you're... That's right. You get, once you get used <laughs> to it, it'll change.
1: Yep. So, hey, Devo, what is digital architecture?
0: Well, it's a fancy way of saying... People having a digital presence, so your social media, your website, your SEO, your digital advertising, any of the things that are non that are non traditional in the form of marketing. So having establishing a digital presence, and so we ah. just found a fancy buzzword to call it digital architecture.
1: I like it because you're building something and exactly like a home. And if, yeah, and if it's not structurally sound nothing's gonna hold up it's gonna fall over
0: right you gotta have a strong foundation to begin with that's right so we help we help uh startups small businesses entrepreneurs solopreneurs establish that digital footprint uh using strategy and brand messaging and being very clear on that and their mission and their values and most importantly what problem are they solving for their market so that they can develop raving fans and scale their brand
1: got it yeah i was um taking a walk and ran into some friends in the neighborhood that have a junk hauling business. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a coach at heart, I started asking them, what is the problem that you solve? What keeps your clients up at night? Uh, what's your brand? And so I'm like, oh, I can't turn it off. Are you like that?
0: I'm like that every second of the day, which is why you'll typically get an email from me at three o'clock in the morning. Cause I'll wake up thinking about something I needed to a, uh, an idea or something that in uh, uh-huh. a previous conversation we just had. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that can get us into trouble sometimes. So we, we finding a good balance for that. Right. It's probably really important. Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I recently took a, uh, five-day hiatus which i don't normally do and it's something i highly encourage and i'm going to do this on a regular basis but i shut down everything rented an airbnb up in the mountains and just disappeared for five days in the woods and just did nothing i meditated i read i worked on some business things that i needed to focus on without any interruptions from anyone and Mm -hmm. uh, i really really reset and restored myself and i came back to business and i'm just like ready to rock and roll
1: yeah yeah Smart idea. So I would like a 60 second introduction to like what your background is, especially as it relates to photography. So people know Mm -hmm. uh, who this guy is and why he knows all this stuff. Well,
0: thank you for that. So 60 seconds. Let me see. Um, I started off my career at 12 years old with a camera. Okay. And and that's sort of how I got exposed to photography. I never realized it was going to be a business opportunity for me because I was 12 years old and grew up in a family of 12 without a lot of money. Um, I stole the camera, took some photographs. And a few months later, I was shown the proofs from the negatives that he had developed. Mm-hmm. And it was just blown away, really blown away the fact that I had taken a moment, an, an innocuous and benign moment, frozen that. And it was there in front of me as if I was living it over and over. And I was just fascinated by that it was a surreal moment for me so um, fast forward uh, the rest of my life I went to college graduated like everybody else trying to find the American dream took a job based on money as opposed to passion uh, just because you know nobody ever told me otherwise I was just like go to school get married have kids build a house white picket fence, two dogs yada 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 and I, I was in that space for for almost 15 years learned a an amazing amount of things that are helping me today so I don't have any regrets for it but the entire time I was just uninspired is probably the best way to say it. I was doing work that really didn't make a difference. Um, getting paid a lot of money to do that, and I just it wasn't what I was passionate about and so I took a long, hard look at myself and and really asked myself what are the things that I really enjoy doing and photography was one of those right at the top of everything and so um I just picked up a camera again and started shooting for free anyone and everyone who I could find and Next thing you know, I left the corporate world for good and launched my own brand in 2006.
1: Awesome. What were your specialties when you were doing photography?
0: Weddings. 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 Wow. Yeah. I, I really, I really yeah. loved photograph, And I still do weddings now. I'm not as much. I, you know, at my peak, I was shooting between 60 and 100 weddings a year. Yeah. Um, I shoot about 20 of them a year now because I have so much other work that I'm focusing on. But, I love photographing weddings, especially mm-hmm. smaller, intimate ones. This sounds cliche, but you, you you can attest to this. But having the opportunity to capture something like that for someone, oh. which is one of a usually once of a li- once in a lifetime opportunity for most people, mm-hmm. or for some people, and giving the opportunity to do that for people, it's it's quite an honor, and it's um so it's something that I just really jumped headlong into.
1: Yeah, when I did them for ten of the twelve years. <laughs> I was always like so excited. I would see a limo go by on a Saturday, and I wasn't working. And I would think, "Oh, they're off to a wedding, and I'm not doing a wedding." <laughs> so, I have to tell you something funny. You had wedding FOMO. Yeah, I did. And <laughs> and and then this, the last two years, I just burnt myself out.
0: Yes, it's a lot of work. Uh, so. It's a lot of work, a lot of hours, a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that nobody talks about. A lot of, um, a lot of, lot of effort and work going to doing wedding photography.
1: (laughs) So I have to tell you something. It cracked me up. Uh, There was, I don't know whose Facebook group, they asked the question, what's your least favorite subjects. And there was like a hundred posts that said either weddings or children. And I was like, those have been my jam for 40 years. I love working with kids and I used to love weddings until the stress just became too much and too physical. And, you know, I was like, I don't like headshots and things that are, you know, things that just sit there like products. And, and somebody responded, thank you for your service (laughs) doing the weddings and the kids I didn't know so many people didn't want to do them but uh. well I, I think
0: a lot of people like the idea and the grandeur of it, the glamour of it you know you're here photographing a wedding but once you get into it and you realize how much work is involved and how much you just touched on how physical they can be physically demanding you you know you're on your feet 10, 12 hours a day squatting I, I must do a thousand squats on a wedding yeah. day, getting up and down and, and I'm mm-hmm. a pretty um, agile photographer. Um, I I've, I've been known to be found in trees, um, just so I can get a vertical (laughs) shot. So, um, I'll come home after a wedding and I'm just physically exhausted. So that, that was one of the reasons that I've sort of stepped back from that, but also I have two young daughters Uh and they play sports and they're really active. And I was just, I found that I didn't have any weekends left. So I started cutting back on some of my weddings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's also mentally exhausting, creatively exhausting and socially, you know, you have to keep that happy face. And be pleasant no matter what's coming at you. So, okay, enough about that. But when we love it, we love it right? <laughs> it, well,
0: it's photography in general is, is, is relative. And I, maybe I'm just me, but I find it to be very mentally exhausting in general because you're, yeah. you're constantly thinking the entire yeah. time you're holding a device. So you have to capture and work that the engineering of it, you're working with a client. So you have to stay charismatic and keeping them and a lot of every client yeah. is different. Right. So you being able to read the room and touch on the, on the key points of their emotions. Like it's a very exhausting uh, yeah. career. Yeah. yeah.
1: And the technology has to be on the right settings mm-hmm. and the like safe cracker of how to get people, first of all, designed in a nice way. This is a, if mm-hmm. you're seeing my video, this was opposing posing group. Uh, and then how to evoke the right expressions. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that Absolutely. being said, let's move on to the meat of what I have in my notes. Okay. i like okay. to dig into your brain. I don't like to pick somebody's brain. I like to go in and wander around. That's right. I like
0: that. (laughs) Alice in Wonderland.
1: (laughs) Yes. So I know you are passionate about storytelling Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in business. Why does that pique your interest? Why does that fascinate you? And then how is it, second part of that, how is it valuable in any business, especially photography?
0: Well, storytelling is, um, there's an argument to be made. It's the epicenter of humanity. Um, early, er, early man's evolution centered around uh, sitting around a campfire and swapping stories from the day's hunts or the day's tribal movements or nomadic cultures meeting other nomadic cultures and sitting down and peace instead of war was made over a campfire and swapping stories it's mm-hmm. it's literally the heart and soul of humanity and you know if you think about every time you meet somebody new for the first time what's the first thing you do i mean we talked for 15 minutes before the show even started on stories we exchange stories and it's that common ground between strangers and being able to tap into that as a business or being able to tap into that as an entrepreneur and share that story. By doing so, you connect with an audience that also has similar stories to that. Mm. And, when, and, and when humans can find common ground, they become friends, they become allies. That's what storytelling does. And so from a business perspective, if you're able to succinctly and clearly tell your story to your avatar or to your audience that audience is going to respond in time by finding that alignment with your story. And like, hey, I, I had that similar thing happen to me growing up or I know exactly what she's talking about. I mean, that totally resonates with me. And that, so that's how you build your audience is you yeah. tell your story and you're transparent about it and you're clear about it. And, and when you do that and you do that consistently and you do that honestly and you do that consciously, people hear those stories and they start lining up to become your fans and your buyers because people don't buy your products. They buy who's selling the products and why you're selling the products. Mm-hmm. And, and 10 out of 10 times, that's, that's sort of how a buyer, uh, a buyer persona works.
1: Yeah, I love, um, first of all, amen to that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my mind is just thinking, well, anyway, it's evoking a lot of thoughts in me that aren't coming out as words, but you said consistently, honestly, and
0: consciously,
1: consciously. I love that. I love that. So, as photographers, because most of my audience is photographers, uh, I know that visual storytelling is something that's powerful. Um, what Can you dive into that? What do you mean by visual storytelling, or how can we do that? Well, we're photographers,
0: so everything that we're sharing with our with our audience or with our world whether it's on social media or our clients it's a visual artifact, right? So we go to museums to enjoy a visual piece of art. We go to zoos to enjoy the visual aspects of the animals. We watch television to see the visual artifacts in front of us. So everything mm-hmm. as humans, we're a visual species that likes to look at the aesthetics of things. Mm-hmm. And so being able to take people's stories and visually tell them so that when an audience sees them or a client sees them, there's a subliminal emotional reaction to it. And you can touch the emotional heartstrings of the viewer. Mm. That connection, that bond between the person perceiving it and then the person delivering it is just stronger because everyone likes to look at things to compare or to dream or to fantasize. And when they see artifacts that are in front of them that are aesthetically pleasing to them or that tell a story, it connects them to whoever was delivering that artifact mm. on a deeper, more meaningful, emotional level. And that's the whole key to photography, in my opinion, is being able to connect your viewer on an emotional level so that when they see their visual story, they're blown away. They're mm-hmm. emotional. They're happy. They're joyous. They're crying and, and tearing up because you did, you gifted them with something that you no one else has had done before and will never happen again. Because this photograph, no matter how good or bad it is, it's a one of a kind. That mm-hmm. moment will never, ever, ever occur again. Mm-hmm. And so being able to visually provide that to somebody in a story, a storytelling capacity is the ultimate gift of photography.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's why I love doing in-person sales mm-hmm. because sitting with them and listening and watching their reactions to what I've put my heart and soul into is my favorite part of this career. Mm-hmm. They laugh, they cry. And um, my sales system that I teach on how to have three to seven wall portraits and an album, almost every time an album, but every time multiple wall portraits, the, the secret to it is emotional selling. Mm -hmm. and having music for a slideshow and having another slideshow at another point to get back to that emotional reaction that you're talking about, because this isn't like a thinking product. Mm -hmm. Um, We also future pace them in the both when I'm coaching, as I plant the seeds, as I coach people to plant seeds for purchase We spend a lot of time talking about them imagining. So like telling a story in advance of think about how you're going to feel every day when your eye falls on this image as your life changes, as your children change, blah, blah, blah. blah. So I think I'm right in alignment with everything you're talking about.
0: Yeah, I'd love to hear more about the IPS process you have. If you have another time off, offline, that's great. I was reading about it on your website. It sounds fascinating. And there's yeah. always something to learn from that, right? Absolutely. absolutely. It's funny to me, you know, you, I, I, I meet so many photographers because I do workshops and education seminars and whatnot. And everybody has a unique twist on it. It's so it's so fantastic. You, you know, we talked about stories, but being able to connect with people like this podcast or in the capacity of working with clients or other photographers and hearing their stories and how they've built their brand and what they do, it always is just intriguing to me. You asked me at the outset, do I like to learn? And I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's everything for me. Learning is literally everything. So anything I can do to change my process and improve it would be fantastic to understand.
1: So do you have a story you can tell us about success? telling stories like a a client or, you know, something fun that was like, yeah, here's the perfect example.
0: Yeah. um, Every time I work with a client, there's a success story, to be frank with you. I don't mean that vain. I think that um, every single time I work with someone, my objective is to be able to capture their story like no one else would be able to do and then share that with them so they can preserve that. Um, but if you're looking for a very specific story, I'll, I'll tell you about a project that I just finished that uh, was very emotional for me and very near and dear to my heart. Um, I was contacted about a year ago by a wedding planner um, of all things. And she was looking, she had found a, uh, she had found me on Instagram cause I, I'm pretty heavy on Instagram and she had a client who was looking for a, a newborn and a maternity photographer mm. and wanted to know if I shot maternity and newborn. And I do shoot. I, I don't shoot a lot of it. It's mostly for existing clientele. Uh, I don't really advertise it or anything, but most of my existing clientele know it or word of mouth. Anyway, so make a long story short, um, she introduced me to her client. And um, this young lady was due in about eight months at the time I met her. Um, I guess it was about seven months and her baby was terminal. So mm-hmm. she already knew that when the baby was born, there would be a very little chance of of her of the child surviving. <sighs> this yeah. is story is a little bit emotional for me. So, um, well, there's a have there's a happy ending to it. Good. So, yeah. um, so she decided to move full steam ahead with the with the birth, and uh, she felt it was her obligation to the child to do that. And she was she felt spoken to to carry the baby to term. So mm-hmm. they hired me for eight months to document their story. Mm. So I spent eight months with this family in their home, in Airbnbs, at the medical visits, at the office check-ins, at the OBGYN center. And um, I was there when the baby was born and I was there, um, everything in between. And the baby uh, survived for almost three weeks. Um, but i did family photographs a bunch of other stuff maternity photographs with them and videography and just literally told their story for eight months and i don't tell this story often um but it's it's near an anniversary so it's been kind of um, on my mind but what i was able to do for them was capture something that knowingly she was not going to ever have this child to look back on again,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but preserve that visual story, that visual artifact for her for the rest of her life and present that to them. And, um, they invited me to the child's, uh, memorial they held up in the mountains and I got to spend a few days up in the mountains with her and her family. And they asked me if I would prepare a slideshow, a video, um, of, of everything that I had captured for them. So there was several hundred people there in attendance um, up in the middle of the woods, and I carted all my equipment up there and my 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 screen and whatnot, and I prepared a video from the start of that project to the end of that project. And you know, you talked about seeing your clients' reactions, and I suppose our egos get in the way a little bit of that because you know we want the validation. But uh, for me, seeing everybody in that fire pit area where we were was in like habulations of tears yeah and and knowing that i i had told that story properly for them mm-hmm. and for that family and was able to share that with them in the, in the capacity at which i did uh, and touch all of those people's lives and you know i can't even tell you basically everyone that was there came up to me and hugged me or kissed me and mm-hmm. and was just like thank you and and being able to offer that as a gift for people and being given the honor and the privilege of doing that particular story, right. um, it will sit with me for the rest of my life. Really? And um, it, it's not anything I've ever done. Like I've, I've photographed live births and stuff before, and that's really a whole different conversation. But knowing, going in, that this was a foreboding and doomed outcome, but still being able to capture it in a positive and vibrant capacity so that that woman and that family had something to share and hold on to for the rest of their lives... Um is, is like nothing I've ever been able to gift anyone regardless of what I've done. So yeah, that's my yeah. story for that one.
1: Yeah. And uh, thank you for sharing that. That's um, I know there are some very brave people that work with the charity. Now I lay me down to sleep mm, to yeah, yeah, yeah. about that. And I know personally, I couldn't recover <laughs> from it being so emotionally based. Um. And what I'm thinking of with your story is that we're all terminal, mm. and like I was at the birth of my great grand nephew, I was, I was the person to be there with my great niece, and that little tiny baby that cuddled on my shoulder, he's gone forever. Yeah. Now there's a cute toddler who's going to be gone forever. But yeah. so the value of what photographers can do for people isn't as obvious as this experience that you had, you know, that was a, a sacred journey with this family. But everything we do, in my opinion, is we're doing the same thing. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, it, that's what I meant from the, out, the outset of, is that when I first saw those photographs at 12 years old, th- that moment will never again occur. Right. and nothing this moment of uh, that we're sharing right now that right. that will never again occur and yeah. being able to capture that I think mean, like, I think that's why cell phones and photography on cell phones have become so prolific and social media is because people now have in the fingertips at any moment of the day the ability to tell a story and capture a moment and then share that with the world right and and the better you can do that the better the more resonance you're going to have and the larger audience is going to see it and, and welcome it and share it and all those different things. But yeah, th- the moments of our lives are precious. And, you know, I tell everybody don't create document document. Don't create if, mm. if you want to have, if, if, if you, because you just never know, like you literally just never know. Right. So
1: yeah. Yeah. I did um, an, an older couple and he, saw the photographs, but they discovered he was ill in between the time I did their pictures mm. and the reveal. He saw the pictures and a week later he was gone. Mm. And I ended up also doing the memorial because um, he was a very prominent uh, businessman and like everybody knew this guy in San Diego. So there were 500, 600 people at this memorial. <laughs> and he's somebody that was never good in front of a camera. He would mug, you know, when you lifted a camera, he would make faces at you. But I managed to get portraits because this is what I do of mm. him that looked like him that you felt like, like as I'm looking at you right now, click, 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 you know, conversation, feeling like, you're in a conversation when you're viewing an image is always my mm-hmm. goal. And having a large portrait on display at this event, to me, it felt like he was in the room
0: mm-hmm.
1: more than the slideshow that they had of all these candids of, of his life. So what we do is important and letting people know with stories, I just love your focus on how much that can help people Picture the value of what we do and why working with you, working with me, working with you, the listener, is um, what people might want to do, why they would choose us. Yeah,
0: I agree. Well said. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in social media, then, what are some tips? My audience likes bullet points, I hear. So what are some tips about how you can do vigil, visual visual <laughs> visual storytelling in the all the socials and all the stuff all the people. Yeah
0: That's a a great question. So I offer, uh, this is not a plug, but I have a shameless plug nonetheless. Uh, I do a keynote on how to have a healthy relationship with social media. So you can actually download something at the end of the show if if you want to share that with your guests. But um, I think first and foremost, uh, I would be very clear on picking one channel initially that you can really devote some time and energy Mm. and creativity to. You don't need to dominate all of them. Figure out where your audience hangs out the most. Are you an Instagram person? Are you a social, a Facebook person? Are you a LinkedIn person? And you don't have to play in all of them. I suggest having a presence on all of them to some extent, um, but really find one that you can really get your feet wet and, and dive into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you figured that out, be very, very clear on the purpose of being on social media. Are you here to share shameless selfies? Or are you here to show your clients' photos? Are you here to share your anecdotal viewpoint of the world? Do you have stories that you would like to share? Are you a celebrity chef that you're moonlighting on the side? I don't know what it is. If you're a photographer, figure out your reasoning and and your why, if you will. Everyone overuses this term, but it's really important and and very critical that you understand that. Because if you're just showing up on social media and just smattering it with nonsense, people are going to be, have buyer confusion. They're not going to really know who you are, what you stand for, and the algorithm, the technology, AI bots that that scroll all of that don't like it. So, um, so the next piece is really be very clear on your purpose for why you're showing up on social media.
1: Pick a channel.
0: Pick a be channel. Clear
1: on your purpose and not just like oh, I'm going to post a bunch of stuff and see if it helps. Correct. It actually can hurt you. Correct.
0: And then take that purpose and develop a strategy around it so that you, and what I would recommend is, you know, three to five pillars of purpose, if you will. So what can you do as Lucy, a photographer that is also a business coach that can share your version of the world with your audience that will resonate with them? So maybe, maybe one of your pillars is education. Maybe one of your pillars is great quotations that you love because you've already dropped several of them in this podcast. Maybe one of your pillars is sharing some of your fantastic photography. And then maybe there's something about your home personal life that is really critical to you that has helped you be who you are and become who you are. Maybe there's some, some. so anyhow, this, it's different for everyone, but pick mm-hmm. out some pillars and then... I suggest advance planning those pillars in advance so that you're not scrambling at the last minute right. to put content out. So I actually do all my social media 30 days in advance. I'm one month ahead of the curve. That doesn't mean that everything I've created in advance is all that I post because I'm so busy with workshops and keynotes and traveling with clients. And, you know, I'm headed all over the, I travel all over the world and, and do stuff. So for me, I, I know most of that content in advance and just because it's happening in the here and the now doesn't mean that you have to use it in the here and the now. So if you're planned out and you're strategic, you can take, and you're documenting, not creating, you can take all of that content and store it in a repository for later use. And so what, what, what happens when you do all that is you're, if you're planning this content out in advance, you're not scrambling at the last minute at eight o'clock as you're trying to get out the door. What can I post today? And then you get so frustrated because you can't find anything. You just throw your phone down. So, um, and then, so once you've had that purpose and that strategy in place, being conscious about it, creating good content is having some aesthetic appeal to it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Done is better than perfect. Your content does not have to be perfect. Um, I would suggest being very real about it. Um, our viewers in today's market are really, really smart And they Mm -hmm. have seven and a half billion choices of content that they need to follow. They can follow. So for you to stand out in their mind's eye, for them to continue coming back to your feed, you should have relatively decent looking content or some sort of value proposition in why you're posting, whether that's Mm. your reels or that's your photos or your memes or whatever it is. Give people a reason to follow you. But more importantly, give people a reason to get into a conversation with you, because that's the point of social media being social.
1: Take a breath here, Uh because I had like six... (laughs) Question. Right,
0: sorry, you got to give me the cue of, of slow yes. down. Yes.
1: Define value proposition.
0: What do you do that solves other people's problems for them? Got it. And enables them or gives them a reason to use your service, follow your social, reach out to you, become a ra- a raving fan. Whatever that value proposition is, give them a reason to come back to you again and again. And if you're solving someone's problem, they're going to need your services, right? They're going to be mm-hmm. intrigued. They're going to be connected with you. So your value proposition can, can be one of several things. But in all cases, it's something that you're gifted with, that you're gifting back to other people by solving their problem for them. You've heard of the saying, what can you do for me lately? Like people only care about what are you doing for me right now. So
1: I'm going to have that song stuck in my head for
0: a while now. But it's true. Like Yeah,
1: absolutely. Think about
0: yourself as a viewer. You go to someone's feed or you go to someone's story or the books that you pick up and you're going to continue reading from start to finish if it's solving a problem for you, whether it's entertaining, it's providing you anecdotal advice, it's educating you, whatever it is. But if the book is boring and doesn't solve any problems, you just put the book down. It's the same right. thing with your business. So you've right. got to be solving people's problems in order to stay in business.
1: Right. First, you need to figure out what their problems are are um so that you can address them mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. did i mention the friends that i talked to last night already on the podcast or was this before we started the show about uh always coaching people no matter what oh yeah that was at the outset sorry yeah that okay was at the outset. so last night i was going for a walk and i ran into some neighbor friends who have a hauling business
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: uh trash hauling And I started giving them coaching on the street. And I asked them there because they were trying to blame um, kind of a quiet time. See, I'm storytelling here, just FYI, people. Mm. I was saying, how's business? And they said, well, there are people that come up from Tijuana and take people's stuff and take it down to Tijuana, fix it and sell it. And I'm like, okay, but that... that's sort of in the realm of I can't be successful in photography because of cell phones, not, there's ways to get past that. So I started asking them what keeps your clients up at night and, you know, what do they worry about? If you're uh, thinking about finding someone to take your junk away, what's the concern? And so we mapped out a whole thing about them because they're a personal service. It's a husband, wife, you get to know them you can feel comfortable having them go over to your elderly mom's house to help her as opposed to some big company where some, you know, scummy, I don't know, no one's scummy. I'm not going to (laughs) judge everyone, but we're somebody that you may or may not feel as comfortable having in your world. So yeah. What's the pain point? What keeps someone up at night and in photography, I think it can be harder for people to, to dig that out they think oh they don't know what to wear or things like that but do, do you have some like top of mind uh pain points or problems that we might solve as portrait or wedding photographers
0: yeah there, there's there's quite a few that come to mind i think First off, for me, is that most people don't like having their photographs taken unless they're used to it on a regular basis. And you're a you know Hollywood celebrity or a sports star, and 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 they're used to having cameras in front of them. So I think for me, one of the problems that I solve frequently for most of my clients is that I encounter people who are you know they're not celebrities. Although I do have quite a few celebrity clients, they're not celebrities, and they don't have their photographs taken in a professional capacity on a regular basis. And so they come into the space a little bit uncomfortable. They come into the space a little bit embarrassed. And so the problem that I solve for my clients, um, I I have one client who coined a term for me several years ago. She calls me the emotional ninja. And Mm. she actually had a t-shirt printed up for me because what I do best, what is my superpower, is I meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. I connect with them on their level. I make them comfortable. And I enable them to be who they really are when they're not in front of a camera. Mm-hmm. And so I solve that problem for people. And if anybody looks at my photographs, the first thing they say to me is how natural everything looks. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the process that I use. Right. I don't go straight into photography. I spend a lot of time talking with my clients. I spend a lot of time walking with my clients. I allow them and their personality to be who they truly are. And then I step back and document that. And I have a very specific approach to doing all of that. But the problems that we solve as photographers is enabling other people to to be who they are and enable their superpowers and their natural, their natural humanity to come out when you're photographing them. And you'll find if you can find that process and you can connect with people on that emotional level, that your photographs are going to catapult to the stratosphere in terms of their quality. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem that we all as videographers,
1: cinematographers, photographers
0: are, is something that we bring to the table and should right. be able to solve quite readily.
1: Yeah, I relate to that a lot. Um... And I work on a tripod, which is really helpful because then I can be having a conversation and making eye contact and not have a box in front of my Mm. face trying to get them to evoke emotion. I'm like, hey, hi, you know, you know, what's your, does your daddy's feet stink or what, whatever, but more that, that content.
0: You're using an emotion, you're using a trigger. No,
1: no, I've never found one that works well for me. So I just... Now I'll grab my other camera with a longer lens and I'll, you know, walk around, but um, for the ones where I really want that connection and where it feels like you're having a conversation, um, a tripod is really handy. And it's also helps wear and tear on your body. And um, uh, I'm not as exhausted after a session when I've used a tripod, but this has me think about, um, I was watching a PBS special series and it was called the masters or Mm -hmm. I don't know masters. And they looked at um, the sculptor Bernini and the painter David or David. Mm -hmm. And both of them said that a successful portrait or bust, you know, sculpture bust of a person is where they look like they either just said something or are just about to. Mm -hmm. And so, I have a feeling that those are the moments that you capture. You know, it was like after how many years doing this, just the lights went on. Oh, that's what I always feel is a successful photograph. Sure. Smiles are good. Parents love smiles. Uh, But I love those ones where you're not exactly sure what's going on behind somebody's eyes mm-hmm. and you want, you want to dig into that, or you can tell a bunch of stories. I love our word for the day is stories. So, yeah. I, I
0: refer to those moments as the moments in between. Yeah. And it's, you know, like read between the lines sort of thing. It's the subtleties and the nuances of a photo shoot that really make up the cadence of what it eventually looks like. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm if you can stay present through that session and you can connect with your clients on an emotional level, they'll show you those moments in between because they're unguarded and they allow you to capture that stuff because they trust you Mm -hmm. and you're in that space with them and you're not rushing them through it. And so those moments in between are sort of to, to draw that point home a little bit further. It's not the kiss. It's the withdrawal from the kiss. Mm. It's the moment before the kiss. And if you can stay present in that moment, you can stay active with your camera and you're alert and, and aware of this this idea of this moment in between you'll mm. find that your photographs take on a whole new multi-dimensional level it's a di- it's a different level of photography
1: yes now personally i do like the kiss <laughs> but i'm not denigrating the kiss No, i'm, I'm just yeah. joking about i like being kissed <laughs> the moment before and after is not as fun as the actual kiss (laughs) but i know i know what you mean though visually (laughs) i I got
0: you i like the kiss too i totally get it
1: visually you know uh, when they're actually if i'm staging a kiss i have to tell them you know don't make fish lips and uh you know don't smash your nose like kissing is not visually that uh appealing what you know like the look of a real kiss but yes that Just before, just after, Mm -hmm. Uh, from the standpoint of photography, not Mm -hmm. the fun of kissing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, fortunately for my clients, I'm not trying to make out with them during a session. I'm just (laughs) instructing them on how they should kiss.
1: Got it. So I paused you a sec from your list of social media. So picking a channel, be clear on purpose, having a strategy, planning in advance, having aesthetic appeal, giving people a reason this is where I segued, Uh, what problems do you solve? Is there any other hot tips on social media and how to tell our stories?
0: Yeah, I think you need to be consistent with that. First of all, you have to show up on a regular basis. So imagine in the real world scenario, if you were dating someone or you just met somebody, right?
1: Mm-hmm. In
0: order to engender that relationship and build harmony and peace and trust with that person, you have to consistently show up. Whether it's talking to them on the phone or meeting up with them or whatever it is, you're doing it on a consistent level, right? You're right. not going to be you're not going to send me a note and say, "Hey, it was really great meeting with you. I can't wait to connect with you again." That was a fantastic first date, and then you disappear for six months. I'm going to be like, "Where does Lucy tick go?" Like, right? Yeah. So, social media is the same way on a smaller microcosm, but a much more a much more exaggerated microcosm because you have seven and a half billion people looking at that theoretically, right? So Mm -hmm. when I say showing up consistent, that does not mean you have to be glued to your phone 24-7. That just means you have to show up on a somewhat regular basis and be part of the conversation. And being part of the conversation is sharing as well as commenting and engaging with other people. So social media, um, I can't stress how I see this time and time again, if someone's taking the time to write a comment on your post or share something or give you a congratulations or whatever, your job is to respond back to them, not only thank them, but engage in a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. Literally, just if you walked by the street and I gave you a compliment and I said, hey, Lucy, I love how your hair looks today. You wouldn't just look at me and flip me off or walk away. You'd be like, oh, thank you, man. That's really nice. I really appreciate that. Social media is the same way. You have to be involved in the conversation.
1: Right. And that's why There's a bunch
0: of other little things, but yeah, that's gonna sure. get you started.
1: Yeah. And that's one reason I'm guessing you would agree with me on this, why trying to do all the all the socials all at the same time can be frustrating and not helpful because it's hard to actually run a business if you're spending eight hours a day commenting on six social mm-hmm. platforms. And also something that I heard a suggestion with a social media person is not to, if you're not going to be consistent, don't have a presence. Like I'm not on Pinterest. I mean, I do have a little Pinterest account, but not for business. And I never check it. And because if we're on a social, but we're not keeping up with it, the message is we're out of business.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So
1: better to concentrate on. On the gold and let the other go for now.
0: Well, well, there's a, there's a lot of reasons for it, and I love that one. I think most most importantly is that just like your business, you're sort of niching down into something that you can really put your time and energy into. And right. the other stuff is great; it's ancillary. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a presence. You can you can multicast, if you will, by posting on multiple channels. There's aggregate tools out there that do that for you. Mm-hmm. But for me, my sandbox is Instagram. I generate mm-hmm. revenue from that. I have a massive number of followers that engage with me in my in my content, and Facebook is you know Facebook is what it is. LinkedIn is what it is, and I'll passively play in those sandboxes. I should probably be playing more in LinkedIn. I'm just not. I find it to be really boring. Um, I'm a mm-hmm. visual guy, so that's why I love Instagram so much. But again niching down into that space and really putting your time and energy on it enables you to have better content. It enables you to be more consistent. And most importantly, you're not going to get burned out like you just talked about. So um, for me, I also suggest having your own audit around how you manage your time in that. Just like mm-hmm. having a morning habit for meditating or walking or exercising or whatnot. Have a morning habit or an evening habit or whatever that habit is and set aside consistent time that is just devoted to social media. And then once you have that done, you don't ever have to visit it again for the rest of the day. Got it. And so I have, I have two habitual pockets of time, an hour in the morning and roughly an hour in the evening where mm. I will comment or, or, or drop back. But I'm, I don't touch social media outside of those two windows um, mostly most often.
1: I love it. Yeah. Time management, you know, that's a whole other podcast topic. But hmm. when we're structured, we actually get so much more done in less time is my belief. So that's a really good tip for people to, even if you just set a timer each time, um, because I know (laughs) on a weekend, I can start commenting on different Facebook platforms. That's my favorite, easiest place to find me is on Facebook. And all of a sudden I'll be like, what did I do today? Exactly. Even on a day off, I, you know, it like hours can go by so yeah i like that
0: i had a i was doing a workshop and i had a photographer um sort of disagree with me on that concept and and she made the point that she was a creative and she was an artist and she couldn't be hampered and confined by structure and that's great but what i said to her is imagine if you did implement some structure and some habits into your life that's going to free up more opportunities for you to focus on your creativity and get mm-hmm. your structure because you have to have some structure. If you want to be a successful business owner, especially in the world of photography, you have to have structure involved with your business. Like There has yeah. to be workflows. There has to be a CRM in place. There has to be accounting. There has to be marketing. There has to be right. all the different pieces. Production. Yeah. Everywhere. And that requires structure. So if you can develop some habits around the structure, you're just going to free up a lot more time for your creativity so you can be a loose cannon, if you
1: will. Right, right. I totally agree with I silenced her you silenced her (laughs) (laughs) touche she's like I had yeah she was like I totally never thought about that one of the things I have my coaching clients do and this came out of uh some some clients who it seemed like they had all the potential in the world but somehow they weren't getting clients and and they're like I don't know you know blah 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 so I started putting in a time card in between where they keep track of how, what they're spending their time doing. It Does't necessarily have to be structured for them, but uh, and we do it in your time marketing, your time working with clients, your time getting educated, and your time um, doing office things. And nine times out of 10 if they're not getting work, guess what they're not putting time into marketing. And just social media, I don't let them count like fooling around for hours on social media as super quality time uh, for marketing. But the structured time, if they're doing it intentionally, then absolutely, they can count that.
0: That's fantastic advice. And uh, this is not my original uh, sentiment, but it's it's the uh, Pareto principle for me when it comes to business. 80% uh-huh. of your 80% of your brand is doing the business and 20% is photography. That's not exactly what the preto principle stands for, right. but you can reverse engineer it to sort of say the same logic. You know, twenty percent of what you do is eighty percent of your work. So, um, mm-hmm. I I I personally think that eighty percent of the time I spend around my successful business is spent on doing the business things. It's the structure. It's it's the marketing. It's the branding. It's the see. It's the customer relationships. It's all those mm-hmm. things. And I spend about twenty percent of the time my photography, and that's and that's how I have built a really successful brand.
1: Yeah, yeah. And of course, when we start out as photographers, most of us are not like like I. Do you have friends and coaching clients who wanted to have a business and they chose photography? I would put money on that 90 plus percent of people who have or started photography businesses, it was because they loved photography and they wanted to be able to do that. And at the core of their being was not the desire to run a business, but quickly we discover that that if we're having a business running the business is what we have to do and the photography is like our our reward mm-hmm. for doing the work it takes to get people to say yes it thoughts on that
0: well the term starving artists didn't get coined out of nowhere no <laughs> so uh, yeah absolutely i mean you that's great if you want to be a, a photographer and that's great if you want to be an artist but Um, if you don't have any way to pay your bills or feed your children or feed yourself and, and you, you know, if you're a trust fund, that's great. I'm not a trust fund. So I have to find a way to make money to build my career and I like making money. So I enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's fun. It it enables me to do a larger swath of things. It's Mm -hmm. enabled me to launch new businesses and travel the world and do all sorts of cool stuff. So, um, yeah, that's great. If, if that's, if, if you can afford to live a life where, that's all that you care about is uh, um, just taking great photographs and no one's ever going to purchase them, then I'm not denigrating that. But if you want to make money and have success in that space and scale that business, you're going to have to figure out a way to run your business properly.
1: Right, Right. I, when I first got into podcasting, I was attending a podcasting conference and each attendee got a chance to do a 20 or a two minute pitch to get on podcasts. And mine what I called it creativity to cash. And I mentioned how Van Gogh, who's considered one of the most exquisite, famous, excellent painters ever, died penniless. And Picasso, who is also an exceptional artist, was wealthy in his life, you know, enjoyed the fruits of his labor and the if you analyze the difference in their marketing and their branding and the effort they put into that, you can pretty much understand why. Picasso, at least that's like, I don't know everything about either one of them, but I believe that he, and probably he got a lot of help with that, did a lot of work to get known and to be valued. Um, And Van Gogh was busy making art so maybe if I ever get a chance to sit down with both of them I'll find out <laughs> okay we are out of time sadly I love talking to you Debo this is fun thank you yeah. um, wish you still lived in San Diego because then we could hang out and I,
0: I come back on a regular basis oh, so I would well be love to I would love to look
1: you up next time and I'm, I'm there well I'm right here so I'd love that too uh, so two questions first one is how to get in touch with you. And I know you have something that uh, people can uh, download as a gift from you. So what are your digits? I would recommend recommend everyone follow me on
0: Instagram. That's my sandbox. And you can find me there at Fusion Photog, short for photography, Fusion Photog, F-U-S-I-O-N-P-H-O-T-O-G. Okay. And if you want to go to my old-fashioned website, the old school route, that's fusionphotographystudio.com. Okay. And those are probably the two best ways to find me. Or you can just and Google my name. I've come up right <laughs> a few places because I'm doing okay. a lot of different things.
1: And what's that? I know there's a video or something that you can get. Oh
0: us. yeah. I I do a keynote um on, on on social media. And I've taken that keynote and condensed it down to about a 10-minute small video on um, how to have a healthy relationship with social media. And it's some of the things we talked about on a lighter level in this podcast, but I go into some more detail on some more granular tips to, to help you have a healthy relationship with social media and still have some impact with it.
1: Okay, doke. And how did they find that? Um, I, I,
0: it's through a link or you can go straight to my Instagram feed and it's in the portfolio. So if you okay. click on my bio and the link in my bio, there's a, there's a link in there that says download our healthy relationship with social media. Okay, great. And that will yeah.
1: be... It's the one that has the flow desk pages.
0: That's right. If you just go into my Instagram and then if you look under profile, I don't Are you, are you familiar with Instagram? Yes. How much do you? Okay, cool. So if you go into my bio and then underneath the word provocateur, um, you'll see link tree slash fusion photog. And okay. then if you click on that, it'll take you to a bunch of different links that I have. And I believe it's the one at the bottom. Let me just pull it up real quickly and I'll share okay. that with you.
1: Well, and you can go. You can go to the show notes below and that link is there. So
0: that's correct. Yeah. I think we've
1: got it. Okay. So last question is an opportunity to either share something that you'd be like, oh, I wish I had talked about this little piece or just a parting thought. So what's your last word?
0: I am in the middle of building my first ever physical retreat for photographers. It's a business incubator, business accelerator. So um, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll get some more information on that. But I'm targeting um, late summer next year for that. And it's going to be in a cool exotic location. If this is for photographers, my, my only tip that I think that I would offer is centered around really understanding what you're good at. And if you're a new photographer, really spending your time and energy on that space, mm-hmm. but most importantly, spend time on cultivating relationships with people, not only in your market, but outside your market and and physically engaging with people on a, on a traditional level as well, because social media is fantastic. But if you're not doing the the foot soldier and getting out and meeting with people and letting them see your face... Um, you're not going to be top of mind with them. So you want to position yourself so that when referrals come in or maybe you're another photographer and you don't shoot boudoir or maybe you're looking for somebody who who is looking for a, a goat photographer or a pet for I have no idea. But yeah, um, one, one of the things that you can do to engender and, and, and yourself with other people is getting out and meeting with them and engaging with mm-hmm. them and spending time with them. I, I do a once-a-week coffee date with somebody in my market. Mm-hmm. And we just meet for coffee once a week and we just talk shop for 30, 40, 30, 40 minutes. And then we go our merry way. And that's my way of just connecting with people on a consistent level. I pick out people randomly from LinkedIn um, that I know are in Charlotte and I say, Hey, and not everybody takes me up. And some people are like, who's this creep reaching out to me? But about 90% of people <laughs> will say, I would love to meet you and have coffee. I have not had a coffee date in five years. I would love that's to awesome. do that.
1: So, yeah. yeah. I totally agree with that. So Devo, this was really fun. I'm glad that we found each other and um, stay tuned everyone for my wrap up as usual. I hate to let you go. This was just so much fun and we'll have to do it again. Yeah.
0: I hope we get the chance to do it again. You have to join me on my podcast. Can I plug that? Yes. So I also do a podcast. I'm in uh, episode 84. So I've been doing this for a few years now um, and it's called a little impolite. You can find it on all of the major channels And I bring interesting people like yourself, Lucy, on the show, and we talk business, we talk life, um, we we swap stories, we engage in what your superpower is and what your gift to the planet is, Mm. and you share that with my listeners and how you can make their lives a little bit better with your superpower.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, so we're going to say goodbye to Devo for now. Stay tuned for those wrap-ups, and thank you so much for being on the show.
0: It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Thank you.
1: So I'm making this wrap up quick. First of all, reminder, if you're not already seeing this on YouTube, you can go to YouTube and get the actual video of this episode. And I've started posting some back episodes, kind of trying to catch up and then the current ones will be on there. So it's the Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas, or you can just uh, search on YouTube for Lucy Dumas and find the one that's obviously the podcast. So I really love this conversation with Devo, and we talked about digital architecture, which means being sure to structure your digital marketing in a way that's going to you know, hold up the walls and the ceiling and work. He took a deep dive into visual storytelling and how we can evoke emotional reactions, which is the most powerful thing on earth, uh, is telling stories and creating emotion. And um, that helps people understand what we're about and have that desire. You know, I'm just paraphrasing him there, but have the desire to work with us. He helped with a list of how to use social media to tell our story. And so the hot tips on that are pick one channel, two, be clear on your purpose, three, develop a strategy around the purpose, four, plan it in advance and schedule. Have it have aesthetic appeal that needs to look nice, go with your brand, give people a reason. To work with us like what problem do we solve we need to be consistent and we need to manage our time um so that's it for now and thanks for tuning in and if you're watching on youtube i especially be grateful if you will subscribe and share with your friends all righty talk to you later